to Dr. DM, a podcast where three pseudo-professional D&D players take questions from game masters to help them plot out their stories and to plot against their parties. The doctors are in. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, I'm Beth. I'm Tasha. And I'm Leanne. So, uh, like we said in our last episode, we're not professionals yet. Yeah. Um, and we're definitely not doctors. But uh, we're just three DMs who love to talk through each other's uh, D&D problems, and we want to share our brainstorming with the world. So we accept questions from our listeners, who we now have. Yay! Yay! Thank you! Um, Thank you Welcome, guys. everybody! It's super. It's really neat. I get to look on the on our analytics and stuff, and we've got like our, our last episode was listened to thirty times, oh. and only some of those were our friends. Was it really? Um, yeah, I th- I knew yeah. it was twenty, but I didn't see you got an extra ten. The last time I yeah. saw it, it was nineteen. That's so exciting! Yay. Yeah, we're we're at thirty, and we're now getting branching out to other platforms, which is really really nice. Mm-hmm. So the more episodes we record, the the further the more platforms that we can kind of get onto. Yay! Um, well, thank you, everybody. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah thanks. It, it's it's neat. It is neat. <laughs> um, thirty people must actually wanted to listen to us. This is amazing. Well, wanted? I don't know if my dad wanted to listen to this podcast, but he did listen to it. So did so did our dad. So your dad is much more within <laughs> the audience range of this podcast than mine is. That is fair. Well, I had an icebreaker question for you two. Mm. What was the first class of character you ever played? Oh, um, I can't remember if it was a wizard or a sorcerer. Um, Do you remember I, the character uh, at all? Yes, her name. I like used her name so much. It was like Anvilin, Anvilel, something like that. I had. Oh, I could probably look it up somewhere. But she was a half elf, I believe, sorceress, and I fell in love with her so much that I like replayed the character three times after that. She was like a premate too, and they just gave her to me. But I was like, this is the best ever. I think the first class I ever played was fighter, but I, I was like in middle school, I think. The first, and, and again, pre-made, I was, I, I didn't make a character until like late middle school, early high school. Like I didn't make my own until then, but I think the first character I made was a sorcerer. Mm. That tracks. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it was a dragonborn too. Oh, was oh, Nyx the wow. first character I, I, you made? Nyx was the first character I made made. Um... Yeah. That like for an actual like long-term game. Yeah, that was Nyx. I'm still pretty good um, at it. How, how, do you still have the model? Yeah, of course. Well, do I still have them? Of course, I still have her mini. Like, talking about I just, oh. you, you painted a mini for her. Do I still have it? <laughs> but yeah, no, she, she was one of the first characters that, like, I, I really made with the intention of, like, actually playing her. I mean, and, and of course, before that, I played a lot of different D&D-like games, not just not just D&D, so things like tunes and stuff like that. Now, I made characters in other gaming systems, but that was the first, like, real D&D one that I, I wanted to play regularly. Because even in 3.5, for the most part, I was at that just a little too young age, and Dad, for the most part, really helped me make all of my characters. But Nyx was the first one I did. The first one I made was in college, and I did the classic half-elf rogue that's my first character. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, total just it just imagine the dread pirate Roberts but as a half elf and that was him. Oh, I had that's... zero yep. zero creativity went into that man. Oh no, but like yeah, but 
but he's so good. Everybody it's loves Aragorn. <laughs> right? I know Aragorn yeah. is a, a rogue, but that kind of like thematic, like dark and broody kind yeah. of. Yeah. 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 We don't have to talk about but, it. I mean, no, like if you're going to pick rogues. a character to, to like just blatantly copy, that's a good one. That's a. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Well, hello. Aww. I apologize, except for that I don't, to all of our listeners who might hear kitten noises. I just got kittens, and one of them is a talkie boy. Mm. So if you hear crying, it's my kitten, Luca. Oh, so sweet. Yep, you should probably tell our audience their names, because they will absolutely ask if we don't. Uh, Yeah, so I've got a little gray and white kitty. His name is Luca, named after Maluka, the YouTube cover artist who sang the Dragonborn song for Skyrim had to honor her and the other one is sophie she's my fluffy little girl named for of course the greatest female hero of our time and times past sophie from howl's moving castle oh it is it is yes i was wondering i have a um yes no i still love i think i use that line i'm the worst kind of witch at all i'm the witch the clean (laughs) so much this little kitten is the worst kind of witch the one who makes stink but that's fine. Hi, sweetie. So yeah, their names are Luca and Sophie. And if you hear either of them crying, um, I'm not sorry. They're adorable. <laughs> They're just chatty. Good. All right. Well, shall we move on to our appointments? Sure. Right. Our first appointment. Hey, doctors. I'm a relatively new DM and relatively new to the whole game. I don't know the D&D world very well, so my game is quite loosey-goosey with the rules. It's okay, though, because I'm learning and my players are having fun. I was wondering if you guys have some tips on choosing things to include in your worlds, like detailed stuff. Gods, for example, or animals that roam the areas that I play in. And what are some tips for letting your players lead you through the world so as not to railroad them into the plot? From DM Chris S. Okay, well, for gods and stuff, I kind of recommend looking at the Pantheon list in the back of the player's handbook, if you have access to it, or just googling the pantheon list for fifth edition it's for Faerun, but you can take those gods essentially wholesale because basically all of them have wiki pages change their names and make your own pantheon if that's something you're interested in doing or you can limit the number of gods they have access to say like eight or nine good gods and maybe you know seven or eight or like eight total yeah, you could minimize it so there's only eight total. Th- that that gives you the flexibility to having lo- a slightly larger pantheon, to having more good gods and more evil gods to sort of like increase their mm-hmm. breadth, I guess, well, of like what they There cover. is always the option of saying, hey, you're it, depending on where you are and how, you, how big of the open world you want to make, the, uh, you can always say, hey, you're in a continent, but this continent only worships these gods. There might be other gods out there, but you'll only know about, like, this this set. Yeah, yeah, that was the other thing, is because you can, like, essentially make a, make a set that's for wherever you're playing, and if your players don't like, like, like they need another deity, well, for whatever reason, your player is like, hmm, I, none of these are fitting the character style I want to play. You're like, cool, okay, we'll, we'll just slap in another deity and say you're from a different you know, you learned religion from a different location, and that's why you worship a different deity. Now, understand that the area we're playing in is not going to have, like, temples and stuff, so you're going to very much be a okay. um, on a mission to tell people, you know, about your god, because no one's heard about your deity before in this region. So, it leads to more fun that your religiously based 
classes can have with that that like style of play. And if you want to stick to gods that your party knows, you can either choose the ones from D&D specifically so they can like look up the wiki pages or you can choose a like your own favorite pantheon. Like if you just want to do Norse gods, mm. like if all of your party knows the Norse gods, you can just say this is our pantheon. You know, you can worship Loki if you want to. But something I did for a world that I was building myself, which never really got to play in. I'm so sad. I built my pantheon like from like from the ground up and I based each god off of the major arcana in the tarot cards. I didn't use too many. Oh, I think I was really only focusing on like cards 0 through 10 but because a lot of it, you know, has a lot of, you know, history and magic and things. I was thinking like if you can look up the tarot card that like symbology of like upward and reversed mm. would be the the positive and negatives of each god. Mm. So I didn't have any evil gods. I had the positive and the negative of the ten major arcana, the first ten of the major. So like arcana. they're different forms. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's also a thing. You can have like maybe only five gods, but then give each of them a different aspect. You know, they have different like. Um, avatars of that of their nature also yeah. still from pathfinder do that it's fine they're close enough i think it just depends on how creative you want to get um and how much you want to create yourself versus just pull from other sources and create a boundary so it kind of feels less like you're looking at too much information all at once yeah it's less overwhelming i know um Honestly, I think Pat, uh, freaking Matt Mercer sells my favorite pantheon just because it's clearly the gods from the Point of Light plus Saren Ray from Pathfinder. It's so well done. That might be my favorite well, pantheon. They, list. Yeah, they were originally playing in Pathfinder, weren't they? And then they switched to D and D. Oh no, they they did it worse. Yeah. It's so good. So if you go back to like the very first videos when they're like still doing like Snapchat and stuff and they put the compile them, the very first episode you can tell they have fourth edition character sheets. So that's why they have the point of light gods, like the fourth edition gods. And then you switch there whenever the Pathfinder by the time Pike got in, like Ashley, and that's why she has Saren Ray from Pathfinder. <laughs> and so they had to yeah. change her name. So, so yeah, they, they, when they published it. Okay, this and, is not a critical role fan cast, okay. y'all. Sorry. <laughs> but our That's point fair. is, it, if you look at other parties who have been playing for a long time, they tend to keep the gods that they were playing with and then shift things into your new game. Just because you're playing D&D 5th edition does not mean that you need to keep the 5th edition gods or use all of them if you want to. You can set yourself into like different parameters and then keep your players within those boundaries and that'll help you feel less like there's a thousand gods how do i keep them all straight the big thing that um beth does in her game that she dms for me is she made it clear and we are playing in taldore so we are working off those critical role gods but she made it clear like which gods are worshipped in the city the most and so those are going to be the few of that said pantheon who are most visible in the game. So like if you like our our game has three major temples, the Temple of the Wild Mother, the Temple of the Dawn Father, and the Temple of the, the Lawbearer. Thank you. And so those three are the ones who influence our city's society the most. But that doesn't mean they're the only gods that are being worshipped. 
nor are the the only gods that exist. There are what like six other gods in the pantheon, I think, or at least the good ones. Yeah, something like that. They're mm-hmm. still in the world. People still know about them for the most part. They're just not as visible within that society. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing you can do. You can limit yourself and then limit yourself further. And that just means that if one of your players wants to go off the rails and worship this extra deity, they're going to have to do a lot more work to get that deity to be recognized in the world around them. Like if they go up and they say, hi, would you like to hear the good word of Pan? Everybody in the city is going to go, who the heck is Pan? Who the heck is Tra- the Traveler? Um, right. So, so yeah. Yeah. That brings up a good point though, for what kind of world you have, what area are you in? Are they in a kingdom or are they in a, in a country? Like, is it a full continent that you're playing on or are you only playing in like specific like regions? And that can really help dictate kind of how your game goes. Because if you're starting in a kingdom, for example, where it, it's not like an entire continent, it's it's like a hunk of light, land that's, you know, got like a forest or whatever in it, and they've got farming communities. Uh, assume that country needs to be semi-self-sufficient to so figure out what their exports and imports are. Then you can determine what's around them. Okay, who is importing that stuff to them? And you can kind of build up a little, like, neighboring community and they're really the only people that are going to be like places where your players are going because they're the neighboring countries until your players start getting like fast travel spells and then your world's going to rapidly expand because they have the ability to hop you know over oceans for fun this is kind of dogtailing night or yeah dovetail something there's a word for this um it's leading into the last part of the question is how not to railroad them i find limited open world is the best way where you give them essentially a set of choices but you don't box them into like one set path and you just have a couple different paths ready for which way you want to go but also like you don't get paralyzed from choice problems and everyone just doesn't know what to do because there's too much yeah when when i plot out a story the way i plot a story is i have a, a overarching storyline, whatever that is. And so there are specific characters in that storyline that are doing things. And I know essentially how long it takes them to do whatever those things are to accomplish their dastardly deeds. And then I have the story arcs for my characters, for whoever the characters are. They give me what they want out of this, this adventure, and I came up with a story for each of them. So their personal arcs, most of them in some way interact with the overarching storyline. So I'm not telling them what to do. I am letting them accomplish their personal goals only for more weird stuff to occur that pulls them back into their overarching storyline. So they're constantly researching, you know, my major bad guy, and they're trying to figure out who he is. But they're also trying to, like, go say, what happened to my parents? I need to go kill this dude because he murdered my family. So they've got these individual plots. They've got personal plots that they're trying to do. And so they can, they're essentially taking turns, deciding whose personal plot they're going to go do. And in the process, they're learning more information about the overall bad guy. So I'm just asking them, okay, who's, who, where are you going next? Where, you know, they, they, they've, they've established with each other what their plots are. 
And then they're like, okay, cool. So whose plot are we doing now? And I'm like, cool. Once they tell me whose plot I'm doing, then I can start building up the, the, the backbone components that are required for them to accomplish that plot. And so I don't worry about the other plots in the rest of the world. I just focus on essentially which arc they're on. I also would like to throw in that one of the best ways to, to build a, a, like an adventure uh, actually didn't come from D&D. It's from Monster of the Week. And their whole premise is build a monster. Build a rampaging monster or whatever, like Fairy King, doesn't matter. Just write the evil villain. Don't plan for the heroes. Don't interact. Don't even think about them. Like, just, just pretend they don't exist. Build your bad guy. Build your world. What is your bad guy doing to your world? That's it. Why yeah, is he the bad why guy? Why is he the bad guy? Then, just organically let the players yeah. get up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, your your end goal is letting the players fuck up your world. And, and I mean that in the best sense of the way. It can be really challenging because you might have a really interesting story you want to tell the problem is is you wrote that story without talking to your players about it and of course you can't really if you want it to be a surprise so don't necessarily write a story that you want your players to follow write a a story for your villain and have your players constantly interrupt your villain doing shit that mm. is a good story arc because they're gonna stumble into evil plots and it will be really fun for them to just like fall into it when they're, you know, in a town. They might, you might not have initially planned this town to have your evil bad guy, you know, mini boss in it, but it does now because they keep staying in this damn town. And at some point, they're going to get noticed by the bad guy because they're doing something dumb. So I would start off with them first just accidentally screwing up the bad guy and then start mm -hmm. doing it on purpose. So whatever your first arc is, they go into a dungeon and then they find the bad guy. Complete clinky dink. Just absolutely the, the luck of the random. gods, essentially, is what they have. Uh, another good yeah. thing is random letter. They just happen to find this letter. Let them let them figure oh, out what it does, what it means. This is clearly some sort of coded message. W what does it lead to? You know, the natural curiosity will will finish off a lot of these. Overhear a conversation. Uh, someone bumps into them and steals shit and they want it back. There's so much that you could do of just random shit that somehow then they, they end up getting tied into the plot. They buy a book and there's a treasure mm -hmm. map stuck in the back of it. I mean, like... Just... And it might take a few of these until they something pick one, I, but... Something I did for my party the last time I DM'd was I made this giant characterization quiz for them to fill out in the headspace of their character. It's just a few questions about, you know, the character's backstory, their motivations, uh, different traits for their character. Mostly, it was a tool to help my more roleplay reluctant characters flesh out their ideas for their character, as well as to streamline those who have already written their backstory into a very cohesive, quick little characterization map. Because, you know, you everybody has that player who's got, like, 15 pages of backstory. And then there's the other one who comes in and goes, I don't know the rules. Here she mm -hmm. is. But within this quiz, I sprinkled in some questions about, like, their, like, here. Uh, is there anything in your character's history that is actively motivating or influencing their current position within the party? Depending on the answer to that, not only will it help them understand their place within the party and as in the world as a whole, it will give the DM tools to use either with or against that character in whatever plots you're making. 
Mm-hmm. It, honestly, this thing is huge. I forgot how many questions I asked you guys. Ooh. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, what are your character's greatest fears? Objects, creatures, concepts? How would they respond if presented with these fears? And then I would sprinkle those fears throughout my dungeons mm. just to see what happens. Like it has absolutely nothing to do with the plot, but it feels to the players like I actually took their character into account when creating these things. It's not just like a throwaway skeleton horde. Which you did. This person specifically told me that they are afraid of the undead. So I'm going to throw all of them at them and see what happens. But it sounds to them like, oh, she remembered. So, you know, it's it's both a tool. It's a tool for both the DM and the player. Yeah. The... The other interesting thing that you can do to make sure that you're not railroading someone in a plot, and this can be a little expensive, but buy one module, just one, uh, one of the bigger ones, the classic D&D modules, and read it. I mean, actually read it. Don't just like kind of skim through it. I mean, read it cover to cover. It is a really good example of how a, a story arc works because they have different plot elements and different options and like sub mini missions you can do in between that can be really really useful and then you can wholesale mm. steal dungeons from them just without blinking lift an entire dungeon that's pre-made and slap it down in your world wherever you need it so and just kind of change people's sorry names. i was just going to recommend and some either strahd the yawning portal possibly salt marsh uh, Salt Marsh and uh, Yawning Portal are both a series of one shots that are connected to each other, but they'll give you also things that you can straight up steal and just drop in the middle of your game real easy. Strahd's just one of the best adventures. It's a little punishing, but it also does a really good job of doing a semi open world that has like invisible walls. And a fantastic evil villain. The last one that I recommend is The Rise of Tiamat. Mm. That one's really, really good. Um, if and you want to punch dragons. Punch dragons um, and politics. Yeah. If you're a new player and a new DM, I would not shy away from the D&D starter kit from Wizards of the Coast. Ooh. It is, you know, it's pretty simple in terms of, like, an adventure. Like, it's pretty straightforward. And depending on what podcasts your mm-hmm. players listen to, uh, they might be able to guess some things. But the beauty of the starter kit is it has advice in the book and it because it, you get a little starter kit rule book and then you get a little starter kit dm book for the adventure itself and it it shows you very quickly how you have your starting point and your one single goal mm-hmm. but there's four branches of how to get to that goal like it, it can give you a good idea of like how the characters can play within a limited space and still get to the end of the adventure it- without feeling like it's just one track I'd definitely also recommend, so that's specifically the module for that is the Lost Minds of Fendelver. Uh, I 10 out of 10 would recommend 100% get that that module. Look it over, see how it runs, see how it plays. It's probably the best module for both new DMs and new players. On the other hand, if you need like a new... Hmm? It's also fun. Yeah, yeah. If you do need a starter kit though, I might recommend the Essentials. You're going to get a little more bang for your buck on that one. Uh, You actually get like maps and npc cards and magic cards and a bunch of other fun stuff that i think is a little more dnd if yeah oh that, that's if you're playing in person if you're playing never shy away from using on well okay the 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 discussion between online and on the table play mm-hmm. is for a different time but i will say if if you're struggling to get materials if you feel like you don't have maps or anything never be afraid of a giant poster board for 50 cents mm. from the dollar tree and then just draw yourself 
a one by one grid on it or use an online character map maker mm -hmm. like um, also... Roll20 and then project it onto your TV with yeah. your laptop for your players. There's a lot of things you can do. Mm -hmm. I do want to throw in though, there is also a Pathfinder foot map for 15 bucks that you can get that's just like fold up and it's just blank on both sides and you can stick it in like your folder or something. So that's also an option. I am, I am always in advocacy of free D and D. This is not something you need to spend money on. If you have the ability to spend money on this and you want like character maps and and a, a, a full like game arc and like books and stuff, go for it. If you can find it online, y'all, yeah. if you can find it online it. for free, do it and share the link. <laughs> the last thing to recommend because you asked about the different animals roaming in your area. If you happen to have the DM guide or can find a PDF copy of the DM guide, there is in the very back of it the appendix b it's the monster lists it lists monsters by what region they're from and so if you just want random animals wandering around you're like cool they're in a hilly location flip to the the table the tilly and then pick some monsters that that are like in their their class range and you can yeah, have don't them just be afraid around. to also think about um, like regions and areas that you personally have visited in our world like okay well they're in an alpine forest what lives in alpine forests uh cougars bears yeah just yeah. make them bigger and dandy you stick suck the word dire in front of it and you can never great. go you're wrong fine. with giant spiders unfortunately basically yeah giant oh yeah there's there's always a giant spider for for wherever you can oh magma giant fire spider i think that's in a zelda game yes they are there are giant spiders in every region <laughs> in zelda or uh, obligatory spider in in <laughs> bioware it, it, even in the fade they had spiders yeah. in your dream just to hammer it home but yeah so that's that's just something to, to keep in mind a steal real animals b the the dm guide has led the list of monsters by environments and finally do what mm. the last airbender does and take two normal ass animals and slap them together and ta-da you have a new mystery monster and it's great and it's really fun and you can just have that animal roaming around nothing that the turtle duck sold it for me when you can say the words turtle duck and people go oh you've done a good job um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we ready for our second appointment? I think so. Yeah. As a DM, how do you recommend leveling up monsters and enemies to meet your player's level while keeping it balanced? I want to use harpies for my level six party, but as enemies, they are too easy. Swarming the party also doesn't seem fair. Additional information. There are three folks in the party, a cleric, a lichen blood hunter, and a witch, which is just their homebrewed version of a wizard. They are all level six. The encounter is set upon a large boat in the ocean. It is meant to be a difficult, but not too difficult encounter. The players have had it easy for the past few sessions, and I want a challenge. From DM Rachel K. I do want to throw out, this has been, okay, this is, I've been thinking yeah. about this question. Swarming the players is actually not bad. Go ahead. It gives them a chance to let them use their a AOE magic that they feel like they can't necessarily use without the party getting in the way. So having a couple, you know, monsters around something or off in the distance, but they're still kind of clumped up gives you a perfect chance to use fireball and they just feel good about it. Maybe not on a boat, but... No, no, the boat's the best place to do that because then you can start to deal with sinking mechanics. So what I had come up with was because you said you didn't want to swamp your party. Yes, swamping your party is not necessarily bad. I don't recommend it with harpies no, because of their thing. abilities. What I do recommend is you take harpies and you make them CR4 monsters instead of CR1 monsters. 
in the DM's guide, it's got a list about how to create your own monster challenge rating statistics. It's like on, it's towards the back of the book. It's like page 270 something. But it tells you what the base stats for a CR4 monster are, like what their hit points should be, how much damage they should be dealing per round. And essentially just like bump up the, the harpy stats and then throw like two or three of them like these CR4 monsters at them, because if you've got two or three of them, you can uh, increase the challenge rating a little bit on their song that, mm -hmm. that hypnotizes people. So there's two songs that they have to make checks against, not just one. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a bitch for them. The other option is to give your harpies the ability to swim and water breathe because you're fighting them on a boat. So think like seabirds. Mm -hmm. They're like seabird harpies. Also, you could also balance yeah. this out because depending on, on how you want to have harpies in your world, you don't have to have them stick like, directly to the module, like like to the um D D book. You could also say, hey, there are some dude harpies here and they don't have songs. Um, so you can give yourself a yeah. nice little swarm monster and have a you know like a good handful of those suckers and then maybe only have one or you know, one to three actual harpies that can do the song. That was gonna be my recommendation was level up a couple of them and then give a, a mini swarm of lower level ones and then have them do different things like have a few that are just and this is in general not just specific to harpies because i don't know enough about them but if you have let's say a swarm of anything have three be your vanguard and they're the ones like that are right on top of your party all the time throughout the entire game through the entire encounter mm -hmm. and then maybe have like three that are a little bit more ranged like archer harpies mm -hmm. that stay off the sides of the boat and aren't able to really be touched by your melee players until like the end when they have to like come and replace the vanguard. It gives a little bit more of a dynamic and it allows your ranged folks to focus on things that aren't right in their face. Also, don't be afraid, like you said, if you have like, let's say they throw in the normal infiltrate units, right? You send in like the the swarm ones that run in and they just get slaughtered or there's something they're things are going bad let them run away that means they can come back do you, like with reinforcements they can then bring like some sort of you know not necessarily a turtle dragon but i was just thinking some other big nasty water monster that they have as a friend maybe it, it depends it depends on how you want to play your harpies it depends on how much lore you want to do attached to your harpies um or how much you just want to base them off what's in the monster manual because if you go with within the monster manual harpies are cowards and won't they're not going to fight for their prey so they'll flee when they they get down low in hit points they're, they're not you know they're not exactly social animals so they would just they would just run away now they're still alive and so the next time your party's you know is on a boat in this area there's these badass harpies who survived the fight and so mm -hmm. you know they've yeah. left um <laughs> so they can be they can be, you know, nastier harpies because they they're smart enough to survive. But yeah, so it it it's it depends on on what your goal is with these harpies. Do you just want it to be? Uh, you don't want to put a lot of thought in it. You just want to punch monsters. Then swarming them is really easy. You just don't give all of the harpy mm -hmm. songs. You make some of and the male if, harpies. If you uh, find that you haven't leveled something up enough or you haven't given enough of a swarm, like let's say you level up three harpies and you think that's good and then your party just rolls really well, you're the DM and you can pretend like they had more hit points mm. the entire time and just stretch the encounter out. It's going to feel a little cheap. It's going to feel like the encounter's going on and on and on. But if they're decimating your harpies within like two rounds and you really wanted this to be like a heavier hit thing, mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to up the HP of the ones that mm. you have already or have reinforcements just randomly appear off the sides of the map. Or both. Or both. 
Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is, unless they know the if they haven't hit the creature yet, you can probably also go, mm, maybe I take up their AC a little bit too. But you can't do that if they've hit because wise players will notice. Yeah. Uh, wise yeah. Rule wise players will also, depending on how they are as a person, mm-hmm. they might call you on fudging some of your numbers. Like if you level up a character or a, a monster that they already know and they're like, metagaming like oh well a harpy has an ac of 16 and you've bumped it up to 18 to increase the issue that becomes a table etiquette issue well yeah and the best way to handle that like at least yeah. for that one time scenario and depending on how your player reacts but just like but these are sea harpies you haven't fought sea harpies before like just immediately say this is some sort of different yeah. thing that they haven't encountered there are some players and Fair. some dms who will yeah. not want to go outside of the box that much so dealing with you or one of your players being more flexible and yourself being more or less flexible you'll have to find the balance throwing more of something at it does feel a little cheap sometimes like you don't want to swarm your players but you don't also don't want to like completely change what a harpy is from what it says in the dm's book so there's a balance somewhere in there mm-hmm. that you'll just have to find i guess the I guess the last thing i have to say about the swarming thing depends on the boat if this is like because because you said they're on a large boat which means there's a bunch of like other uh, sailors and stuff who are on the boat the harpies probably would see all of those victims and think awesome let's let's gather up the posse and so they're flying in and you can have you know swoop by attacks of like waves of different harpies so they're all low level but you've got like maybe 30 harpies were flying hella hella high in the sky and like maybe five of them come down each round on the harpy's turn so they're just like blasting them out of the sky no big deal but it's like an endless horde thing and they're like stealing sailors off yeah. the boat and dragging them off and shit. And so you can have this this like almost zombie-esque wave by wave encounter. And after maybe they kill, you know, however many rounds you decide of them attacking these harpies, the harpies, you know, leave because either they killed enough of the sailors or mm-hmm. they killed enough of the harpies, the harpies fled. But yeah, so it gives you that that option to completely keep the harpies exactly as they are in the book and solely mm-hmm. just have a, and the, a horde the big of thing harpies. Is, that's right, about that horde is making sure you have a set number of rounds. Yeah, you don't want like mm-hmm. all 30 harpies to come down at once. Mm-hmm. You want like three or four to come down and maybe it's the same three or four just for statistics and numbers. Mm-hmm. Like when you injure these four enough, the entire swarm will go away. I or something like that. There should be swarm mechanics um, in the DMG yeah. that that handle doing mass like essentially I think they call it like war encounters or something like that for doing mass number of bodies versus each other. My my other recommendation is if this is a really large boat like longer than most of your players running speed, there is nothing more aggravating to me as a player in an encounter aggravating in a good way but there's nothing more aggravating than when a monster is attacking somebody like a bystander npc and is too far away from me to get to within one round because then it kind of feels like the stakes are more dire because i'm not going to be able to get to that npc to save them or my party members or just the the opponent within one round and that will also kind of drag out the encounter if i have to use two rounds or give up my action to get to the enemy. And so that's not really a, that's not like a statistical 
difficulty change, but if you spread your opponents out further, your party's going to have to make strategical decisions and it might make or break the the encounter where they end up going. It, it makes it more difficult to figure out where they want to be on the map, which can change how they're reacting. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, let's see, you have... We have two potentially ranged casters and then one up front tank, mostly tank. They're bloodhunters. Yeah, so your ranged folks might be able to stay in the middle of the boat and hit people who are on the helm or are, I don't know what the back of a boat is called. Um, but then your, the butt, the butt, the butt of the boat. <laughs> I have no idea. I just said the butt. Um, it's the butt but then the your, your melee fighter is going to have to determine where he, he or she or they are most needed. And if your players are clumping up too much, the harpy mm. song can will really become advantageous solely because you can start making them walk to the edge of the boat and Ooh. away from their friends, and that's fun because now your friends have to try to. I'd save also do a mass roll for possibly the some of the crew, depending on if you want to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, for just I was leaving say, if you have a captain NPC or another important Ooh. NPC who's also fighting, targeting them, depending on how your party feels about them, might change the flow of the encounter like suddenly in the middle of the fight the captain starts walking off toward the back of the boat and you know they're gonna die if they fall in the water mm -hmm. oh boy will your party turn and abandon things mm. and if they don't and if he does die now oh, you yeah. have a new issue who's the captain of the boat oh he will even know sailing yeah lots of roles in there yeah. it can be fun it can be really fun and you're the dm so once again if that's something you want to force uh just yeah, you, you yeah, can you can just, just kill like, him anyway. You can also kill him in a, a cutscene. Yeah, but you can have the... You don't have to roll... Well, that's, you don't that's have to cheap. roll against uh, the harpies if you're the captain and you want the captain to be hypnotized. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want him to fail the song, you can say that he failed yeah. the song. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can just say he, he fails. That is easier to do. That's yes. Table Unless you're hiding online. your DM rolls. Yeah, you have to whisper rolls for that. Uh, that's the one nice thing about being at a table because if you're playing at a table or you you are everyone's agreed not they're not rolling or they have the option to not roll in whatever your server mm -hmm. is that they can just use their own dice at home then you can just roll your own dice roll your own dice why and uh <laughs> i know some people don't why? like that so uh, but um yep. that's all about how you want to set up the encounter and i know some people find that that not lying at all is more entertaining that they actually get more out of it, that they just let the dice decide the, you know, the weave, uh, the the story. And I've I've done both. I've uh, I have I think it comes more about fudging for me monster like logic than it does um, necessarily fudging roles. Because if you're th hitting sitting here thinking, hmm, who should I attack? Well, the monster probably would just keep attacking this guy. But because they're down, or maybe you want to make sure that they're dead, you know, the monster might be smart enough to think, oh, I want to make sure they're dead dead. But you're like, I don't. I like this character, and I would like to make sure they, uh, you know, enjoy my game. <laughs> I'm just going to go attack the next. Party. Mm -hmm. I don't want to kill my party. Mm -hmm. um, and it depends, like, maybe it's just not thematically appropriate, but maybe you run into a point where, like, hey, this guy is serious, and you didn't take him seriously. And now he double taps people. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just depends on what you want out of the encounter. That was kind of a lot for how do I make these harpies more, but I guess the the end all is there's a lot of different ways to change your monsters and don't shy away from those options. Don't don't feel weird about changing your monsters cuz even if you do have difficult table manners sometimes, there's a whole section in the DM's guide called changing your monsters instead of making a new one cuz that shit sucks. Um <laughs> I don't think it's actually called that, but it's use base stats in the monster manual and make your monsters do whatever you want is part of being the dm so having people complain that you're not doing your monster correctly is not a rules issue it's literally within the rules that you can change monsters it's Mm -hmm. um tasha exactly tasha you brought up a good point mm -hmm. about monster thought processes Mm -hmm. like you 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 were saying like what would my monster do in X situation? Mm-hmm. That's a good thing to determine at the beginning of your encounter. What is because harpies are intelligent mm-hmm. creatures. They're not just wild animals looking for what they're is their between. goal? Yeah. Uh, well, they're in between. Well, you know, like okay, fine, whatever. Um, <laughs> but what's their goal here? Are they just like here to drag people into the sea and eat them, or are they being controlled by something bigger and know mm-hmm. that you they only want the captain as soon as you get the captain? grab them and run and then you know once they get x character the encounter's over everybody starts fleeing the best way now it becomes a chase yeah it doesn't have to be to the death Mm -hmm. every single encounter it can be no it can be to the goal every encounter doesn't have to be to the death i'd say figure that out first figure out the goal yeah yeah i think yeah there's two main Mm -hmm. ones when when you think about monster like fighting it's i'm here to kill things and eat Mm -hmm. them or it's capture the flag. And those are really your two main kind of directives. Either you're trying to capture the flag or you're trying to protect the flag. Like they already have the thing and they're mm-hmm. trying to keep the, the, the heroes from getting it. Or they're trying to steal something from the heroes or in, that's near the heroes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or they just want to eat something. And then don't forget, if you punch yeah. a shark hard enough, it will leave you the fuck alone. Like, I mean, and that's going to be hard. Don't get me wrong. You have to punch it really hard and maybe multiple times, but eventually it will. Just as a thought, like, even if something's coming over to eat you, they won't necessarily fight to the death. No, no, you punch them hard <laughs> in the nose. They weren't expecting that. Yeah. You, you, you're you're you made know, of if, metal. So, if this a shark is suddenly bad. bite a, uh, a warforged, it's probably going to be like, well, fuck this shit. <laughs> this is not food. All right. <laughs> I, I specifically mentioned Warforge only because I had that in a, a, a lycanthrope bloodhunter Warforge. That was fantastic to explain. Um, what? Yeah. No, I don't feel like. No, we need what? To get into that right now. <laughs> I don't think so. I have kittens to take to the I think we vet. do. <laughs> oh, okay. That that story will be for another time. I'm just gonna leave it there so people can ask questions. Well, thank yeah. you all for listening again. Thank you to all of our wonderful listeners, all thirty of you. Okay. What the heck? Uh, if you or your fellow players want game advice from the doctors, please submit your questions to DearDrDM at gmail.com. Doctor is spelled out, so that's D-E-A-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-D-M at gmail.com. We're still working on getting our voices to more platforms, but you can always find us on Spotify and Anchor.fm as, quote, DrDM. Leave a like. Leave a comment and please, please, please share this with your friends and your family and your players and your parties. We will take questions from anyone and everyone. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. The doctors are out.